0: Let's look at this. We're looking today at the episode of Egypt, uh, in Egypt, where God leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. We've all seen the movies, right? We have all know, know the, the, the story of how God parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. And this single event in Exodus chapter 14, it is the defining moment of the Old Testament. If you wanted to put in a climax of the story of the Old Testament, it would be this. It would be that God took His people out of Egypt. He did this miraculous event where He parted the waters and they walked through on dry land and the Egyptians drowned after the Israelites walked through. It is a, this moment right here that proves to Israel that God is the God worth worshiping. And it proves to the rest of the world that God is a Savior and mighty and powerful God it proves to Egypt and all the pagan societies around them that the statues that they worship and the the images that they worship and the animals they worship and the ancestors they worship none of them have ever parted a red sea and none of them have ever led millions of people out of captivity only the God of Israel is that kind of God over and over again in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, in the, in the days of and after uh, Jesus, the Bible will refer us back to Exodus chapter 14 and remind us that we serve a God who delivered His people out of slavery, parted the Red Sea, took them through on dry land, and brought them into freedom. Every Almost every book of the Bible mentions this chapter. Almost every book of the Bible references this event. Why? Because it is such a defining event of understanding who God is and what God is like. I want to put this idea before you this morning. I want you to just kind of soak this in and think about this. I believe that all believers ought to have some red sea moments in your life. That we all ought to have some Red Sea moments like Israel had in Exodus chapter 14. Let me tell you what a Red Sea moment is. A Red Sea moment is the moment, a point in our lives where we follow God's leading as He separates us from the thing that used to hold us in slavery. God is an abolitionist, God hates slavery in all of its forms. God is always in the business of separating his people from slavery. And so a Red Sea moment is an experience that God takes you through where he leads you out of the prison of sin and of shame and of guilt and into everlasting freedom. He doesn't just open the door to help get you out. He closes the door behind you so you don't go back in. That's what a Red Sea moment is. Your Red Sea moment comes when you know, come hell or high water, I'm never going back to Egypt. I'm never going back to what I used to be or how I used to act or what I used to do. I'm not going back to sin. I'm not going back to bondage. Your Red Sea moment comes when you say, I don't want to just be forgiven. I want to be free. That is a Red Sea moment. You know, and and one Red Sea moment that all believers ought to participate in is water baptism. In fact, the New Testament says that when we are baptized in water, it is us repeating the event of the Red Sea in Israel. When, When Israel went through the Red Sea, it is going through the water, out of bondage to slavery, and into new life. And that's what, when we get baptized in water, it is not just a symbol and it is not just a ritual, it is a moment in time where you're saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to go through the water. I'm going to die to my old self and be raised up to new life, and I will never go back to who I used to be or what I used to do. That's what water baptism is, and that's a Red Sea moment, but we have them over and over again. As you grow in your walk as a Christian, as you grow in your walk as a follower of Christ, he will take you through these moments where the Bible says he takes you from faith to faith, and he takes you from glory Glory to glory. He takes you to the next level. There's always a next step if you're a Christian. I don't care if you've been serving Jesus for five minutes or for 50 years, He always has a next step for you. There's another Red Sea in front of you that He's going to part and take you to another level of freedom. There's another Red Sea in front of you where He's going to take you and part that sea and take you to another level of victory. There's another sea in front of you He's going to take you through to take you to another level of discipleship. No matter how How long you've been serving God? We need these Red Sea moments where we go forward into God's promises and we leave those things that are behind. Your Red Sea moment comes when you get to the point in your Christian life where you know that Jesus wasn't just crucified and resurrected simply for my justification, but also for my sanctification. Now, that's a big theological word. Let me tell you what sanctification means. Sancto, sanctus is a Latin word and it just means holy. That's what it means. It means holy. So I could easily, instead of saying sanctification, I could say holyfication. And it means that it's the process that God takes you through where he makes you holy. He gives you the power to live a holy life. He gives you the power to overcome sin. He gives you the power to be more and more like him. And Jesus did not just die so that you could be justified with a clean slate before God. Jesus died and was resurrected so you could become like him, that you could be holy that you could be sanctified and set apart for his use and for his service. And when when you figure out that I didn't get saved just to be forgiven, I got saved to become more and more like the one who saved me. That's a Red Sea moment in your life. Oh, I told you I had a double sermon today. I mean, <sighs> Here's the setup. Remember, after the 10th plague, after the death of every firstborn uh, human being, man and animal in Egypt, Pharaoh tells Moses, he says, and the Hebrews, he says, y'all have got to get out. I am tired of these 10, these 10 plagues, this last one where my own son has died. It is the last straw. He says, you've got to leave and pray for me as you leave, that God would relent on Egypt and not bring any more judgments against Egypt. And the Bible says that they leave in the middle of the night with the Egyptians paying them to leave. They give them food and supplies and equipment and chariots and they give them gold and silver and they tell them, please leave us before God sends another plague worse than this last one. And the Bible says that God led the people with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as they left the land of Egypt. Look at Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. It says the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and night. So this is the this is the image that's happening. Every firstborn man and man and and animal in Egypt has died except for Israel because they have applied the blood to their house you remember that we talked about it two weeks ago everyone inside in the middle of the night Pharaoh wakes up to hear the cries of the people of Egypt as they find their loved ones dead in their bed asleep and the Pharaoh says you've got to leave and so God says all right put your shoes on it's time to go and there's a pillar of fire in the night that's leading them where they should go as they're exiting or taking their exodus out of Egypt. Now this leads me to my first point if you're taking notes. God knows how to lead. God knows how to lead. If you want to leave Egypt, you've got to let God lead you. On their own, they could never have escaped slavery. On our own, we can never escape slavery. We can never escape sin on our own. That's called the theological doctrine of total depravity. That means that on our own, left to our own devices, you and I are totally helpless to save ourselves. On our own, left to our own devices, you and I are totally helpless against the attack of our spiritual enemy. I can't do it. God has to do it. I can't save myself. God has to save me. I can't sanctify myself and make myself holy. God has to empower me with His Holy Spirit to live a holy life and to sanctify me. God knows that if the people of Israel are going to be set free, they're going to need leadership. They're going to need somebody to show them the way. Something to show them the way. So He Himself leads them his presence comes in the form of a glory cloud and in the form of a fiery pillar at night it is God's presence himself that leads them as they are leaving Egypt as they are leaving slavery as they are leaving sin as they're leaving addiction as they're leaving bondage as they're leading sickness God's presence is leaving the, leading them Now, the cloud and the fire represent two things. The cloud and the fire represent God's word and represent God's presence. How do you know that, Pastor? Because later on, we'll see when Moses is going to get the law, when he's going to get the law of God and begin to write the scriptures, it says he goes up in the mountain and that glory cloud comes down and surrounds the mountain and he's in God's presence and God gives him his word. So the cloud that's leading them represents the word of God and the presence of God. Let me put it to you this way, back in the previous chapter during the 10th plague, when the death angel came, the Hebrews took the hyssop branch and they spread the blood of the lamb over the, the doorpost and over the lintel of the door. And, they be, and that was the sign when the death angel came to pass over their house and to go and to not bring death to that household. That was the sign that 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 home was under the blood and had been uh, covered by God himself, by the blood of the lamb. But. But it was uh, the blood of the lamb was the key that opened the door for the Hebrews to find freedom. It was the key that opened the door, but it was the cloud and the fire that led the Hebrews through the door into freedom. Let me say that again. The blood opened the door to freedom, but the word and the presence of God led them into freedom. The cloud and the fire led them. See, the blood sets you free. The cloud and the fire lead you when you're free. Too many so-called Christians stop with the blood. Their Christian life goes no further than f- believing God to forgive them when they do wrong. They know nothing of God's presence and they know very little of God's word. They want death to pass over them, but they know nothing of the life that God has for them in his presence and through his word. The cloud and the fire represent the glory of God's presence and the refining power of his word. And if Moses and the Hebrews had not allowed that cloud and the fire to lead them, they would have sat angry outside of the city. They would have uh, not knowing what to do with their newfound freedom. They would have been susceptible to succumbing to the advancing army of Pharaoh when they came after them. This is why discipleship is so important. It is not enough to come to an altar and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and then just keep on about your life because there's no freedom in that. The door might be open, but you're still sitting in the prison cell. What you have to do is after the blood has been applied to your door, you have to walk out of the door and you have to have someone or something bring you leadership and teach you how to live in this newfound freedom. That's what the cloud was for. That's what the fire was for. That's why at this point in my ministry, my focus is not on how many Many people say a sinner's prayer at the end of a church service. My focus is on how many people in our church are being led by the cloud and by the fire. How many people are entering into God's presence like we did this morning? How many people are diving deeper into God's word? Because we can have a revolving door of every kind of gimmick to get people in here and get them to say a little prayer. But if we haven't taught them how to be refined by the fire of God's word and how to get into the presence of God on a daily basis, they won't know what to do with the forgiveness they've gotten. Last year, late last year, Pastor Katie and I, we were having a tough conversation about our church and we came to a realization. We realized that in the, the average Sunday morning attendance in fall of 2020 was half of the average attendance in fall of 2019 before COVID came. I looked at Katie and I said, we've got to realize we don't have the same church we did a year ago. It's not the same anymore. We don't have the same people. We were forced in the spring of 2020 to not have in-person services for eight weeks. And believe me, that might sound like that was an eight-week break, but I worked more in those eight weeks than I think I ever have in my life. I had to figure out how to, y'all don't even understand, how, how to figure out how to, how to do an online service and all those kinds of things. And then I, you know, hear about you watch some other preacher instead. Whatever. But we had a realization those eight weeks made a difference. No matter how hard we tried to stay engaged and many of you did and you gave and you sacrificed and you did ministry outside of a Sunday morning and I honor you for that and we couldn't have done it without you. But our first Sunday back was Mother's Day 2020 almost exactly one year ago this coming week and we realized that for some reason all it took for the devil to keep some folks out of church community was eight weeks. That's all it took and I'm I'll I'll just be honest with you. I'll be real blunt with you this morning. I'm not just talking about they're not in church anymore. I'm talking about just from outward appearance, they're not in Christ anymore. And it took eight weeks to do it. That's how firm our faith was, an eight-week faith. Some people, they've had legitimate reasons to not be back, and and I want to give that caveat. I understand that. Their age or health complications, that they're still, it's too dangerous for them to be here in person. But you know what? Those people watched every week. And those people gave every week and those people stayed in contact with their pastor and would answer the phone when the pastor called them. Those were those people were are still active. There's more people in church today than what's in this room because they're they're still active online. And I thank them for that and I honor them for that. But there's others. I'm just going to get real with you. okay? there's others that I've just realized they're out because they were just looking for an excuse to be out. I've had people tell me I, I can't come back because of COVID and I'm afraid of COVID, but they forgot that we're friends on Facebook. And they've been out to eat and they went on vacation last summer and they've already got a vacation planned for this summer and they've been at the baseball field and at the football field and they go to work every day, but I'm afraid to come to church because apparently church is the only place you can catch COVID. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Why did that happen? Because... Your pastor and, and the church in general failed to disciple people. We were okay with just a good attendance, but not okay with going deep into God's word and into God's presence. They had the blood on the door, maybe, but they hadn't learned how to walk and stay following the cloud and the fire in everyday life. And it's not just us, it's every pastor I've spoken to over the past 12 months. They all have had the same experience. And God just spoke to us, Katie and I, at the beginning of this year. And He said, I'm showing you who's willing to follow the cloud and who's willing to follow the fire. I'm showing you who values the presence of God and who values the Word of God. I'm showing you who wants to not just be forgiven, but who truly wants to be free from sin and from bondage in their life. And God knows how to lead. And he knows if you will follow him, he knows where to take you to grant you and get you freedom. He gives us the tools we need to go where he's calling us to go. But he never forces us to follow. Incidentally, one of the reasons that we began Fire Institute—if you're not part of Fire Institute, where our second class starts in two weeks on May 16th, and you need to sign up and register for it—you can do it in the app, you can do it on the on the website, or you can just come tell me. But there is a way to register this program. The, the, I don't even like calling it a program. It is simply just following Jesus into his word and we meet every Sunday night for eight week units and it has been amazing the depth that I have seen people grow in the last eight weeks y'all I'll just I know she won't mind me picking on her and if she does I'll apologize later but y'all nine or ten weeks ago Deb would have never given that word publicly in this house But she's been going deeper in God's word and God has been speaking to her and using her. And God used her today to speak to some people what God wanted to say. Amen. That's because she went deep in discipleship and because she was growing. If you follow the cloud and you follow the fire, he will take you to freedom. Hallelujah. So go register for Fire Institute if you're not there yet. Now, here's something interesting. I want you to look at this. I'm going to move on quickly. I'm sorry. Uh, Exodus 13 Verses 17 through 18. Notice this says when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. What this is saying is, is that the night that God led them out of Egypt, the pillar of fire that led them in the night did not lead the people of Israel on the shortest route. I have never seen this in scripture until this week. There was a shorter way to get out of Egypt than the way he took them. And that shorter way did not involve crossing any water. There was a main route. At what we would call a highway today, a trade route between Egypt and the rest of the Middle East. It was there. There was a road. It was a short road. It was an easy road to get there. But God didn't take them the short route. He didn't take them the easy route. There was a shorter route out of Egypt that would not require crossing water, yet for some reason, God led the people of Israel on a longer route, less convenient route, that dead-ended at the Red Sea. And I have learned in my life, living and following Christ, he almost never leads you down the obvious path. I have seen this time and time again in my walk with God. When I'm following him, he almost never takes me where I think I'm supposed to go. This year, this summer will mark 10 years since I moved from Virginia to live in Arkansas. Now, if you had met me 10 and a half years ago, and you told me you're going to live for 10 plus years in Arkansas, I would have laughed in your face. There was, it was never on my radar. If you would have told me 10 and a half years ago, you're not going to marry that high school sweetheart you've been with for nearly six years. I would have laughed in your face. I would have never believed it. I mean, thank God that God leads us. Hallelujah. But 10 years ago, God started to speak to me and I started getting in his word. And I started pursuing his presence. I I pursued the cloud and the fire. And the cloud and the fire started to lead me to take steps I didn't understand. And some of those steps in my flesh I didn't want to take. And some of those steps, God had to twist my arm to get me to follow him. And some of those steps, I I took them with tears streaming down my face because I knew God was calling me to something, but I didn't want to leave what I had to leave behind to do it. It was a tough transition, but my God, looking back 10 years later, I'm so thankful God kept leading me, even when I was stubborn. I'm so thankful that God didn't let me take the obvious route. I'd have never met you, and you'd have never met me. I'd have never seen the miracles that I have seen. I'd have never met the wonderful wife God had for me. Or like she prayed earlier, seen the miracle of that baby that God gave us. I would have never seen. So I've seen dead bodies or sick bodies heal. And I've been able to travel the world following after God. I would have never been able to do any of that had I gone the easy route. Had I gone the route that made sense. See, the Bible says that God didn't let the people take the shorter land route because he knew that they would have to go through more enemy territory. He knew that they would have to go through intense enemy territory. He knew that if he saw the war and the violence that they would have to go through, they would be afraid, they would turn around, and they would go back to Egypt. God knew that if they went the obvious route, they'd have to fight enemies they weren't yet prepared to fight. So he took them the Red Sea route. He took them the wilderness route. He took them to a place where he said, I'm going to take you on a journey where you have to learn to trust me totally and absolutely. I'm going to take you through a journey where you learn that I'm the God that can turn seas into highways. I'm going to take you on a journey where you learn that I'm the God that can make water flow from a rock in the desert I'm going to take you on a journey where you learn that I'm the God that can make bread and meat fall from heaven to feed you on a daily basis how many is thankful God knows how to lead us he takes us and gets us prepared for the fight that's ahead but he knows that he can't always go the direct route he's got a better plan and we're going to find out he's miraculous and he's powerful and he's victorious if we would just follow the the cloud, and the fire where it leads. That's all point number one. God knows how to lead. Number two, God knows how to fight. The, the last two are shorter. So the pillar of cloud and fire leads the people out of Egyptian territory, doesn't take them the obvious road, and all the way, it leads them all the way to a dead end at the end, edge of the Red Sea. Now, this spot where they get, if you look at the history and the geography The people are effectively trapped on three sides. The ocean is in front of them and there are steep, rugged mountains on each side of them. And what happens is, after Pharaoh let them go, he changes his mind. And he says, you know what? Let's go after them. And it says that he, he calls together 600 of his, of his best chariots and horsemen. And he, he marches down to the Red Sea and chases after them and goes after the people of Israel to force them back into slavery. See, when you get free, the enemy will come back and attack a second time. And the people hear the thunder of a marching army behind them coming after them. And they see the mountains on each side and they see the sea, the water of the sea in front of them. And they cry out to Moses and they say, you should have just left us in Egypt. Did you bring us out? There? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to the wilderness to die? See, because God knew. Remember, he, he didn't take them in front of their enemies because he knew they'd want to turn around. Well, sure enough, the enemy comes and they want to turn around. Look where you brought us to. And they they basically tell Moses, they say, maybe if we hold our arms up and surrender when he gets here, we can strike a deal with the Pharaoh and he will let us go peacefully back into slavery. And this is where many believers end up in their life with Christ. Many believers will initially pass through the blood of forgiveness and they'll begin to follow the cloud and the fire, God's word and God's presence. And they'll follow the cloud. Uh, I'll follow God while the firstborn of my enemy is lying there dead. And while they're handing me gold and silver to get out, I'll follow that cloud and that fire any day. But as soon as things get difficult. As soon as things get get a little intense, they're ready to tuck tail and run right back into the arms of the wicked slave master. They say, okay, Moses, good try. But unfortunately, it looks like real freedom is impossible. We're trapped. Let's just try to compromise with Pharaoh. And maybe he won't kill us and just make us slaves again. As a pastor, I see so many people in these kinds of situations. I'll follow God into freedom as long as I can take my sin with me. That's not how it works. I'll follow God unless and until God asks me to separate myself from something in my past. I'll follow God as long as I can take that unhealthy relationship with me. I'll follow God as long as I'll take that, I can take that bad influence with me where I go. I'll follow God as long as it's easy. I'll follow God as long as nobody looks at my internet search history. I'll follow God as long as he doesn't touch this area of my life, this relationship, this issue. Listen to me, church. There can be no condition, conditional stipulations on your decision to follow Christ. There can be no, as long as God does or doesn't do this or that, then I will follow him. That is not surrendering to God. That is manipulating God. And God will not be mocked and God will not be manipulated. Moses hears the cry of the people. They say, you should have just left us in Egypt. Maybe we can go back and just be slaves again. Let's, let's, let's surrender to Pharaoh. And he hears that, that cry. And that's where we get to the initial text we read today. Where Moses turns to them and he says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Fear not, stand firm for the addiction that you see today, you will never see again the Lord will fight for you. Fear not and stand firm. That sin issue that you've been battling with all the way, all your entire life up in today, it's something you will never see again because the Lord will fight for you and he'll, he'll lead you out. See, Moses said it so much nicer than I said it. He told him, oh, fear not. You know, the Lord will fight for you. Just be silent. What he really, I think, wanted to say, well, y'all just shut up while I talk to God and figure out what we're going to do. That's what I think he was saying. He said, be silent. I think he really meant shut up for a minute. I see him coming. Let me talk to God and figure out what to do. Th- that, shouldn't that be the response of every one of us when, when an attack comes against us? Instead of weeping and wailing and going into a panic or what are we going to do and the enemy seems to be winning, shut up, turn to God and say, okay, God, you see the enemy. I see the enemy. What do I do? That's how you get victory. That's how God will fight for you. And I love that Moses says all of this before he ever gets instructions from God. He tells them, don't fear, stand firm, God will fight for you. And he has no idea what God's about to do. But Moses trusted God enough to fight for him before God ever gave him instructions about what to do next. Moses didn't know how God was going to fight. Moses just knew that God knows how to fight. And that God is not going to leave his people abandoned to die at the hand of the Pharaoh he just delivered them from. He knows that God is never going to settle for compromising with Pharaoh. He's never going to settle for negotiating with the enemy. He doesn't know what God's going to do, but he expects God to do something. And that's where we've got to get, church. We've got to, get, I don't know how God's going to work this COVID thing out, and this economy thing out, and these politics things out, or this thing with my family out, or this marriage issue. Out. I don't know how God is going to work it out, but I expect God to work it out. I expect him to fight on my behalf. Look at verses 15 and 16 and, uh, here in, the, in that chapter. Moses says, y'all hush so I can talk to God. And he says, go. It, 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 God says to go. I, I know your cloud. Your glory and your fire and your word and your presence did not lead us out here to die. I know, God, you have a plan. I know where you're. I know you're going to fight for me. He says, "What do you want me to do?" And God says, "Tell the people to go forward." Tell the people to go forward. Now, if you're Moses, the first question is, "Go forward where?" I'm standing on the beach. There's, there's no, are we supposed to swim across this miles wide portion of the Red Sea or what, what are you saying? Go forward, go forward. There's no more forward to go. And I can just imagine, yep, exactly. You go forward into the sea and I'll make a way where there is no way. Exodus 14, 15 and 16 says, tell the people of Israel, go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And the Bible says that God did exactly what he said he would. Moses lifted his he stood on the shore and he lifted that staff up, that same staff that when he cast down turned to a serpent. That same staff that when he struck the Nile River it turned to blood. He took that staff and he held it above the ocean and a wind came and it split the sea. A strong wind came and it split the sea and the people walked through on dry land. The Bible said that the water on each side of them was like a mighty wall and they walked through with their belongings, with their children with their livestock and all the riches and possessions that Egypt had given them them, listen, church, God knows how to fight. When you feel trapped and you feel like you're surrounded by your enemy and you feel like there is no way to go and the enemy is hot on your trail, Moses told the people be silent, shut up, stop complaining and start listening. Listen to the fire and to the cloud and where's the fire and the cloud? Where's the word and the presence telling you to go? And when you're in a tight spot, don't be afraid because our God knows how to fight and then go forward. You can't stand frozen and just let the enemy take over. You can't turn backwards and try to compromise with the enemy. This is a word for somebody this morning. Keep marching forward. Don't look back. Don't go back. Don't compromise. Don't negotiate. Keep following the cloud. Keep following the fire. If God tells you to run your head through a brick wall, you run full speed and trust God to put a hole there. That's why you trust God. You trust God with total obedience to him. When he says step into the sea, you step into the sea and you believe that God's going to make you a way to get Across. Notice God opened up the sea in response to Moses' faith. I'll fight for you, he says, but you've got to move forward. You've got to step out in faith. Listen, faith isn't faith until it's been acted upon. You can sit around and talk pretty words and biblical language and quote all the Bible verses you want, but until you set foot in the sea, you haven't had faith. Faith is when you take the step. Faith is activated by action. Faith doesn't stay frozen and it doesn't turn back and negotiate. Faith marches forward. And I love it on the edge of the Red Sea when they get to the other side, the people celebrate. They have a big worship service. Go back and read Exodus chapter 15 and read the worship song that they sung. If you're feeling down and out and feeling like you're defeated, go read it. Exodus chapter 15. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He knows how to fight. He knows how to win a war. He knows how to make sure that the enemy regrets ever coming against you. Our God fights for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Last point. It's a quick one. God knows how to win. Pastor Katie, you can come. God knows how to lean. God knows how to fight. God knows how to win. As the people are marching through the dry seabed, the Bible says that Pharaoh's army chases after them. And Pharaoh's army enters into the sea behind the the Hebrew people. But it says that as the Israel, people of Israel get through that, that land strip of land through the two walls of water between them, that when the Egyptians, and he waits, I love this, if you kind of read it, you can tell, God waits till all the Egyptians are in the water too. And then the sea closes up and all of Pharaoh's army drowns in the sea. No single Egyptian survives, but every Hebrew man, woman, and child makes it through to the other side. He said, the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see them again, and he meant it. God knows how to drown your enemy. He knows how if you've been water baptized, that when, you, when they laid you down in that water... You died to your old life and your old sin and everything that ever came against you, and you were raised to newness of life. And anytime the enemy tries to come against you as a born again believer, you say, You know what, enemy? I've already drowned you. I've already beat you. Anything you say to me or do to me, it's just words, it's just theater, it's just play because you've already been drowned. The blood has been applied and I am following the cloud and the fire. I'm following the word and God's presence wherever he leads me. And if I am following the cloud and if I'm following the fire, the enemy can't follow me wherever I go. God knows how to win. Look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. They're on the beach on the other side. They've just seen their enemy defeated. Their freedom has been secured. And they say, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. I struggled because this whole chapter is so good of picking out verses. I'm just going to read you a few more verses in Exodus 15. This is their song. This is their worship song that they sang. See, they responded to the victory with worship. They sang, Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, they were down into the depths like stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters my enemy. And the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap. the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. That's what the enemy said, but you blew with your wind and the sea covered them and they Sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like the Lord? Almighty, hallelujah. He has drowned all of our enemies. Satan has no hold on me. Slavery has no grip on me. Chains have no place on me because I have been through my Red Sea moment and I have been found freedom on the other side. I went through the blood on the doorpost and I followed the fire and the cloud wherever they led me and that means that, that my enemy can't go where I'm going. He can't have what I've got. He can't take back what God has given me because God He knows how to lead me. He knows how to fight for me. And he knows how to win the battle for me.